0: Welcome back to Palestine Deep Dive. Welcome to you all, wherever you are in the world. Uh, We wanna hear from you today. Uh, We've got special guests for you. Uh, Each week um, and each time we come on, we examine the big issues that affect uh, Palestine and the Middle East. uh, And we go and speak to people who know what's happening because they're there. Uh, And today is no exception. And of course, these past few weeks, Palestine, Uh, has been at the center of global attention, not least of course for the appalling uh, fighting uh, between uh, Israel and Gaza, the Palestinians, and the very heavy attacks by the Israeli military uh, on Gaza, and the heavy, uh, of course, the very heavy civilian rates of attrition and civilian suffering. Uh, But also, of course, uh, Israel-Palestine has been uh, at the forefront of global attention, because uh, after 12 long years, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has finally been forced out of office and, as we're seeing today, is not going quietly. Uh, we want to talk about all of that, but we are, we really, the big focus this evening, and with our special guests, is going to be on what it's like to be a journalist uh, in Palestine what it's like to be in social media and communications in Palestine, what it's like to have been at the sharp end of uh, frequent, quite brutal, Israel uh, military and uh, militarized police attacks. That's what we want to explore. Um, And we also want to hear from you. Uh, Now, one of our guests, uh, Marianne, uh, is going to be slightly late. Uh, It's for those of you who know what it's like. um, In fact, she may be about to join us now. Welcome, Mariam. Welcome. I'm about to introduce you both. And I think um, both Mariam and Mona are in Ramallah. Hi. Hi. Nice to see you. Um, But Mariam has actually had to come, I think, through a checkpoint. That is part of life's grim daily experience for millions of people across Palestine. Uh, That is part of their life, to have to come through uh, checkpoints uh, and the humiliation that that entails. That explains why I think, Mariam, you're a bit late, but I'm going to introduce you you both now, if I may. Um, uh, Mariam uh, is a Palestinian writer and researcher. She's based in Ramallah, as we just talked about. She earned a BA in English Language and Literature from Birzeit University and an MSc in Sociology and Global Change from the University of Edinburgh. And she's worked as a journalist and a reporter with a focus on the Levant and and published various socio-political commentaries from Palestine and she's undertaken monitoring and evaluation missions for humanitarian development aid in Jordan, Palestine and Lebanon. Um, Her reporting and analysis, many of you will be familiar with it, has been featured in Al Jazeera English, uh, The New York Times, the Guardian, the BBC and Middle East Eye amongst many others. Um, my other guest, our other guest this evening is Mona Shattaya and Mona is a communication and campaign specialist working in the Middle East. She's in Ramallah today. Uh, she's a local advocacy manager of, uh, you'll have to t- tell me if I'm pronouncing this incorrectly, Zamla, the Arab- Central- hamla. Hamla. Thank yeah, you. Hamla. hamla. Hamla means
1: campaign.
0: I'll get there in the end. Um, uh, for the this, the Arab Center for the Advancement of Social Media, and she worked previously as a community uh, outreach coordinator, and then as a social media and communications comordia- co- coordinator in the Aman Coalition, uh, which is the national chapter of Transparency International. Uh, she has produced and presented the program Al on Radio Twenty Four FM, and Mona. Uh, also researches and writes about digital rights issues. We're absolutely delighted to have you both with us here today. Thank you very, very much. Um, I, I used to be the Al Jazeera correspondent uh, in uh, New York for the uh, recovery in the United Nations, and I subsequently went to work uh, for the United Nations. I worked for the Secretary General Ban Ki-moon and subsequently for the President of the General Assembly of the UN. I've taken a long uh, interest in issues of Palestine, um, and as a journalist um like many of you who are going to be watching today and tuning in and sending in your questions I've been uh, kind of shocked and horrified by by what I've seen in, in recent weeks it's been an it's been an eye opener uh, and so we want to explore all of that with our guests today um but I just really uh, i wanted to i have to start by doing this because we've got to keep up with um today's events and it has the, the last 24 48 hours have been quite dramatic and I just wanted to begin by asking both of you uh, perhaps I'll start with you Mona um, about w- w- what what do most Palestinians feel about Netanyahu finally bowing out or being forced about uh, is it just this kind of dull sort of recognition of the inevitable and what difference does it make or is there do people feel? that they you know, he's been so appalling that actually anything has got to be better than him. And what, what's, your, what's your take on it, Mona? What, what, do you, what are people telling you?
1: Hi, everybody. Thanks, Mark, for your question. So from my point of view, this won't change anything. We are dealing with the same authorities, with the same regime that suppress us and oppress us all the time. And we are living under this settler colonialism since seventy three years ago, and the last twelve years were not like separated from the the past seventy three years old three three years ago and i, I so i can 't uh, like imagine anything that will be changed by changing this this government. So we are dealing with their policies. We are dealing with their discriminatory policies against us, against Palestinians, either Palestinians who's living in uh, West Bank, in Gaza Strip or in Jerusalem, or even Palestinian citizens of Israel. So the new prime minister said previously that he's proud about killing many Arabs and he has no problem with that. So he, he he like he made a bottom line for our conversation and he made it easier for us to start this conversation and to say that we are we are dealing with the same policies we are not we they are only changing people, but the policies are the same, the discriminatory policies are the same, and the authorities are uh, dealing with the Palestinians are like a, second, uh, a secondary citizens uh, than others. I- I'm-, I'm talking about Palestinian citizens of Israel. So it's the same, uh, nothing will be changed from my point of view. Uh,
0: Mariam, I mean, from Prime Minister Bennett, the new Prime Minister, uh, he-, he doesn't even go through the pretense of uh, supporting the idea of a of a two state solution, if he's totally hostile to it, so in a way, uh, you're, what you're seeing is what you're going to get, aren't you, with this man? I mean, he, do do you think uh, do do you think it's a uh, do you think he could be worse? Do you think this government is worse? Or do you agree with Mona? This is just it's going to be the same.
2: Um, I don't think it's going to be the same. I think it's going to gradually get worse as we near more and more our our complete ethnic cleansing, our erasure. Um, I think this move with Bennett really is just a change for um, Israel's own internal political sphere where, you know, you've had demonstrations against Netanyahu as being corrupt, and I suppose this is their way of saying, you know, Um, will we move to Netanyahu, that's a conversation entirely different to the reality on the ground in terms of what Muna was saying, the practices um, Mm. that have been happening against us. Uh, I think Bennett is a lot more blunt in his um, racism and discriminatory practices and policies that are being employed on Palestinians. I think he has zero zero um respect zero uh fear zero um a sense of accountability in terms of human rights international law and just basically not committing crimes against humanity that he's going to continue to embolden um uh, the the israeli uh aggressions on palestinians
0: what we what a lot of people watching this though mariam don't quite understand is um how 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 is it that You know, his new coalition, I think he has a majority of one, ends up getting the support of a small uh, Palestinian Islamic party. What's going on there?
2: Um, I think that that's completely irrelevant. Again, Palestinians in general have been tokenized, so these questions precisely can be asked. Well, you know, you have a Palestinian or an Arab or um, an Islamic-leaning party that's a part of this government that you're saying is committing ethnic cleansing. Um, more than anything, I think that's the exact purpose. Uh, perhaps those in the party have some sort of belief they can reform or change, or maybe their policies uh, tacitly align uh, with those that are being said in the Knesset. I think that's irrelevant at this point. And the focus is to bring forward these questions, the tokenization of Palestinian presence in certain spaces to pretend one is equal, to pretend one is democratic.
0: mm I mean, this is a pretty shocking development. I mean, many people in Palestine must have been fairly shocked at what they saw. Um, but uh, look, moving on from that, because you know, here we are. There's been a, a change of government in Israel, but as you were both saying, uh, the essential tenets of uh, the uh, continued uh, occupation and the, and the continued uh, apartheid policies continue. They so show no, show no sign of abating, um, and nor from from where we're sitting does it look as though the international community is taking any stronger uh, uh, position against the Israeli government but aside from all of that we should we should really get down to what we what, what we're all here to talk about today and i'm i'm just like to begin with um, by asking you both really and uh, beginning with you mona um what was it that took you into the work uh, that you have been doing uh, and what what is it that gets you up in the morning and 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 fires you up and makes you passionate. What, what 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 was it that took you off in this tra- trajectory that you went on?
1: Well, let me tell you something. We are dealing with the most complex situation for digital rights maybe I've I have ever seen. I'm working since many years uh, ago in the digital rights field, I have never seen people who are dealing with three different governments. We are dealing with the Israeli authorities. We are dealing with the Palestinian Authority. We are dealing with the de facto authority of Gaza Strip. The three of them, they have legislations that make restrictions and shrinking spaces for Palestinians and they are restriction our restricting our freedom of expression. They are violating our right to privacy. They are preventing us from having the most uh, yani the, the most basic and fundamental uh, rights. In the world the israeli authorities are preventing us from having control on our ict sector and this is like a very fundamental basic uh, right that people now around the world they all have their access to internet we palestinians don't have the like the right to access internet if they don't permit us to access the internet people around the world now they have a 5g we are still Suffering with the 3G in the West Bank and people in Gaza Strip are still using the 2G, and this is like very very complex situation where we are dealing with this. We are not also talking only about governments, but we are talking much more about tech companies, not only social media companies. We are dealing with tech companies, with surveillance, spying companies, and with social media companies who are working systematically to silence Palestinians and to violate our right to privacy and to violate our digital rights let's say digital rights in general and because of that I I woke up in the morning every day to go work for a better and a better digital rights a better Palestinian digital rights to have a free fair and safe digital space for Palestinians this is what I'm working for.
0: So that's very interesting so I mean you're telling us that essentially the uh, <laughs> You know, if you're in the if you're in the the West Bank or Gaza, then actually your access to the internet is much more restricted. It's it's much slower and it's quite deliberate. So uh I mean and, and that is a is, is a matter of quite deliberate policy by both companies and government. Are they working together on this?
1: Well. They are not working together on the access to internet, but they are working together to silence Palestinians. For example, the Israeli uh, authorities, they have the cyber crime unit, which is work systematically to report and to send requests on the Palestinian content and the Palestinian narrative to social media companies. They are very proud about this. The president of the cyber unit, the Israeli cyber unit had a proudly mentioned in one of his inter- recent interviews that they have delivered around 20,000 requests to social media companies over uh, over uh, 2019 and they, the the number has been increasing uh, hugely because the number in 2016 was around 2242 so it's like a big jump from 2016 to 2019 and also we are we are documenting and observing digital rights violations that Palestinians are exposed to on a daily basis I think over the past month we have seen many digital rights violations that we are we are going I'm pretty sure that we are going to take about it to talk about it later on in this webinar so I, I would like open the space to Miriam if she wants to participate about this and then we can maybe talk about much more details about well, this no,
0: we're, we're definitely going to come back to, to that um but i know i wanted to put the same question to mariam really which is from 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 your perspective you know what what was it that that moved you in the direction that you went in um what is it that uh, because both of you are taking i mean for people watching they may not necessarily realize but you're both taking quite large risks by doing all of this you're probably taking a risk by appearing on this palestine deep dive right now so mariam for you what 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 was it? What is it that motivates you to get up in the morning?
2: I think it's the same thing that motivates every single Palestinian to wake up in the morning and give in any way that they know how. Um, And that is the urgency of it. And that is the vile human rights violations that underpin it. More than this is I don't think that there is, should be, uh, like we take, we're taking a more risk, a more risk than who the Palestinians being chased with death to Arabs in Jerusalem, in Haifa, or um, the families being uh, violently expelled from their homes in Sheikh Jarrah and Silwan and Beit Safafa or those in Gaza who are carpet bombed. So like in terms of risk on our lives, uh, I think that risk is ubiquitous for Palestinians. In terms of risk of censorship, um, I think that's also present for Palestinians within Palestine and those abroad. The, the, what our presence highlights is the need for Israel to place a blackout on what's happening to Palestinians. So it does go an extra mile or rather invest maybe slightly more resources in taking different ways to silence Palestinians because they can't just shoot us um, uh, in our heads, although it has been doing that in the past few days as it tried to arrest Palestinians, it, it has accidentally, and I put that in quotation marks um, because Israel constantly says, oh, sorry, we killed the Palestinians by accident. So what drives me is that knowledge. Mm. It is knowing how severe the situation is and just how much it is important to keep the light on Palestine.
0: Well, g- given all the issues that you've just been talking about and the problems that are put in your way uh, in, t- in terms of, uh, of, the, of the technology and the infrastructure, um, I mean, how, Mariam, mean, with, with, with social media, um, particularly in the last few months and particularly over the recent um, attacks in Gaza, it does, from a outs- outsider's Uh, point of view it does look as though it's been much more effective and and Palestinian use of social media has been much more effective despite all of these problems that you've had I mean would you say that's true I mean do you do you think that um, people have become much more adept at being telling the story uh, telling their stories and telling the stories of others not relying on on professional journalists if you like to do it because very often they're not even allowed in to to tell the story are they?
2: Yeah, 100% in terms of not being allowed. And when you are, um, you are attacked, like we've seen uh, with Guevara Baderi from Al Jazeera, correspondent, um, to Najwan, somebody who was beaten also by Israeli forces in Jerusalem. But I don't think it is Palestinians becoming more adept as much as it is the international community ready to hear what we have to say. We are not saying anything new. If you see... What I'm saying, I think I think maybe in Muna's case, it's different because it's digital and, and the tech world is new, but the overall narrative is the same narrative that we have been saying for 73 decades, and that is because this is our reality. Our reality hasn't changed. We want to change it, um, and this has happened before. Mm. Palestinians were hurt before, especially Um, during the first intifada in the 90s just before Oslo and it was hijacked, our voices were hijacked. Right now the difference is we know those mistakes committed and we are urging the international community um, to not falter into it, to stop asking me about the two-state solution, for
1: instance.
2: Mm. Um, And other than that is social media. It let us reach quote unquote, the average citizens, we weren't talking to policymakers who refuse to think outside of their framework. We are talking to people that imagine together that develop these apps and and learn about algorithms in weeks, because it is stopping them from their access to knowledge.
0: Interesting. I mean, for for what it's worth, in the past week in this country, there's been a a big debate about uh, teaching of Arab-Israeli, as they call it, uh, history in schools. Um, There's been a big complaint by the Board of British Deputies about uh, pro-Palestinian bias, uh, and 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 also, likewise, Palestinian voices are saying, "Well, hold on a minute. You know, our history has only been partially taught." And I I go back to my own history being taught at school. I never learnt about the Nakba. Uh, but what people are seeing through social media right now and have been um is what's been happening in Sheikh Jarrah and they can see for instance and at the Damascus Gate and what have you and they can see uh quite clearly from the footage and from the reports that uh, that, that this process has been going on but they can now see it they can out see it for themselves and that is the big difference isn't it Mona don't you think that people can actually see so much more and it's so much more immediate And so you can actually begin to put the puzzle together.
1: Well, the difference is people are hearing from people which make them feel closer to them and make the solidarity greater. And this is is the main issue social media open the floor for Palestinians to tell our story and our narrative in our own way. We are reflecting the reality that as Marian said, that we have been living over the past 73 years, but now we are not telling this story to a journalist who's going to communicate on behalf of us, we are telling our stories by ourselves. I I hold, I handle my phone and I make a story. I tell the whole world what's happened with me over the checkpoint that day. And I got several like retweets, several comments and, and so on. So people w- would stand on solidarity with you, they, they start helping you by sharing your story by amplifying your voice so people can feel they are much more closer because we are we are like telling our story in our own way and they feel like it's not something for intellectual or for for people for political science people we are telling stories for people from people to people and this is make it easier when we are communicating this is like this kind of communication make the story much more like hearable and make the 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 pro-Palestinian movement much more even like <clears throat> it grow much more more and more and because of that in the last in, the, in over the past month we have heard stories about personal stories for families and for people who are living like. Uh, in Sheikh and Lifta and in Jerusalem in general, and also in Gaza Strip, they were telling us their stories. They are young people who have their own stories. They they are they have this kind of fear to lose their homes, and they are just telling us their their fears and why they are defending their homes in that way. And because of that, the whole the whole world was hearing them, was amplifying their voices. Because I personally, if, if I'm sitting in the U.S. or in Europe or even in in Southeast Asia, I I can't, I can't imagine that. I, I will lose my, my home because a, a settler just came and say, if I don't take it, someone else will take it. If I don't steal it, someone else will steal it. I can't imagine like someone is telling me this thing. So people can hear, like they, they hear these, these stories, they hear this kind of narrative, and they feel that they are close to these people. They are hearing their stories. And because of that, they are sharing Uh, sharing this kind of stories and also amplifying Palestinian voices and one more thing and last point is we Palestinians we feel we are miscommunicated from the mainstream media over the past years because the mainstream media they have a specific kind of stories they created some kind of uh, stereotyping about Palestinians like we don't have a personal stories all we have is war all we have it's war between cotton coats, and all we have is, is just we are living in tents and so on. I've been traveling around the world, and when, whenever someone st- saw me, oh, you are Palestinian, you don't look like Palestinian. Why, guys? How Palestinians should look like? We are like like any people around the world. We we are Palestinians. So this is like because of that we feel like we are miscommunicated, and we are trying to communicate ourselves, our narrative, and also our story in our own way.
0: Thanks, thanks, Mo. I mean, Mariam, as Mona was talking there, I was I was also thinking about, I mean, there were many seminal moments over the past few weeks, equally shocking, equally dreadful, but also sometimes quite revealing. And, and one of those very revealing moments, I think, was when um, the sections of the of the international media, and I'm thinking particularly the Washington Post, reported that. Uh, there was going to be a Israeli ground invasion of Gaza. Um, there was there was no information to back this up uh, by all accounts, and actually afterwards it transpired that this was a false information that had been put out by the IDF in order to encourage uh, Hamas fighters to go underground so they could be more easily targeted. Now, um, for what it's worth, There were people on the ground who were telling us that this was not the case. There was no evidence of an Israeli incursion into Gaza, military on the ground. And that was obviously to other other organizations as well We're hearing that. Uh, That was a a seminal moment in a way whereby we we discovered that newspapers like the Washington Post, major media organizations were taking information uh, at uh, prima facie face value, not necessarily checking it, being unable to check it because they didn't actually have the people on the ground. So this in a way has kind of, also, don't you think Mariam, this is also kind of empowered people to be able to say this is, this is the truth. Uh, and you, you journalists, you have to go and check it. You need to have journalists there. Um, yeah, uh,
2: I do disagree though. I don't think you have to have journalists there to know that. I know there are many journalists here who continued to write the story wrong. <laughs> Uh, which was part of the problem. If anything, this showed exactly that, just how much control Israel has over the narrative that it had access to weaponize a media platform for military strategy. Mm. Um, And it falters within the same pattern that, that Israel has in terms of weaponizing people, weaponizing resources, um, you, we've seen what Israel continues to do by weaponizing anti-Semitism against anyone that is anti-apartheid, that is anti-ethnic cleansing. And yes, maybe people abroad do have a pro-Palestinian bias. Yes, you should, because we are being erased. And you not having that pro-Palestinian bias is having pro-apartheid b- bias.
0: Mm, interesting. Look, I'm going to t- I'm going to read out of some of the comments we've had. Um, we, 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 won't, we won't necessarily be able to take them all as questions because um, they're, they're taking us off into um, a previous territory. I mean, uh, uh, Wally Yazbach is asking about uh, your perspective with uh, Naftali and Bennett, um, but we've, we've already kind of uh, covered uh, all of that. Um, Sarah Raw says, hi there, greetings from Germany. Um, question to you both, um, um, more about Bennett. We can go back to this if, you, if, we, if we've got time. Um, But she says, do you think Bennett's bluntness can become an advantage for your activism in in terms of raising awareness in the international community? Um, We have, um, uh, so we uh, we have Thea Gardelin and she says, um, uh, hi from Italy, on May 18th during the Giro d'Italia bike race in 2019, Israel had financed the tour departing from Jerusalem just after Bibi and Trump had declared Jerusalem the capital of Israel. Well, this year, the Israeli team was supported and financed by an Italian winery. I called the winery and told them that sport washing Israel means supporting Israeli politics and apartheid. I mentioned their company should be boycotted. You know what happened? Last week, I was summoned by the Italian police. The company sued me for having called them and mentioning boycotting sued for a phone call, a simple phone call. This is how powerful Israel is, even in Italy. Um, Jennifer Hermiston, she says, um, Jennifer Humiston, I beg your pardon. Jennifer says, are any of the panel familiar with the human rights organization, uh, ecumenical accompaniment program in Palestine and Israel? Uh, I, Jennifer Humiston was uh, an EA in occupied East Jerusalem for three months in 2017. My team was very involved in Sheikh Jarrah and Silwan and monitoring uh, the Columbia checkpoint, especially during Ramadan. So we EAs are painfully knowledgeable about the horrific and atrocious policies towards the Palestinian people. Keep those questions coming in, if you will. And if you can, people, people are watching, you know, we, we, Mona and, and Maryam, uh, they can talk about anything, of course, but our, our focus is very much on kind of reporting the truth and Israel's attacks on the media. Um, And I just wanted to to return to that, if I can, because um, Mona, um, you know, there have been reports of kind of uh, censorship on on Instagram and um, Facebook Um, and and censorship of Palestinian activists. in addition to what you were telling us about earlier and that, that the technology, that, how that's being controlled and suppressed, if you like, and slowed down, tell us something about um, the censorship people are, are saying that they've been exposed to.
1: Yeah, sure. So we Palestinians have been silenced through a systematic effort that the, the Israeli government is being used to silence us on the internet. So the Israeli uh, authorities, they have established this Israeli cyber unit, which is monitoring the Palestinian narrative and work heavily to censor Palestinian voices and to silence Palestinian voices. As I mentioned from before, they have this kind of voluntary takedowns where they are sending requests to social media companies on a Palestinian content to be taken down. And they are sending tens of thousands of cases every year for example as i mentioned in 2019 they sent around 19000 20000 cases uh, for for the social media companies and most of these cases were accepted from the social media companies and uh, as we have seen over the past month, we have documented hundreds of cases in Hamle. We have documented hundreds of cases where Palestinian voices were silenced, where our content was taken down, where our accounts were suspended like Miriam's account on Twitter, where also we have been struggling with a shadow banning by reducing our viewership, where also our our hashtags, our used hashtags were hidden from the social media platforms like Al-Aqsa hashtag, which was hidden from uh, Um, from an Instagram platform. So we we have been testing and experiencing several kinds of digital rights violations on these social media platforms. This is from the the, the first part, if we are talking about censorship for the content. But there is also other systematic way and other systematic efforts that the Israeli government is being using to silence Palestinians on the online spaces. For example, they have this gongo, which is governmental operated NGOs, where they they have these uh, platforms like like act.il platform to organize and mobilize themselves to report on Palestinian content. So they are playing with the algorithms as trolls. They are reporting the Palestinian content. So the Palestinian content starts to be disappearing or having less uh, exposure on the social media platforms. And if, if your content is being reported hundreds of times or thousands of times, it, it might be, or it have a bigger chance to be, taken down from these platforms, or your account have a bigger chance to be banned even from these, these platforms. On the other hand, they are playing on the other way with the Israeli propaganda content. Where they are liking this kind of content. They are commenting much more on this kind of content. So they have a, big exposure, a, a bigger exposure for this Israeli propaganda content. And by doing so, they are, viol- they are, f- f- for sure they are controlling the narrative on the uh, on the internet they are silencing palestinian voices and they are making much more exposure for their narrative and for their uh, for their voices on the other hand the social media companies were uh, was complying with 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 these requests for for the social for the israeli government and for the israeli cyber unit and we have documented tens of cases where it was like the case of false positive. False positive means they took down this kind of content, or they they suspend this account. And then when we appealed these cases to the social media companies, it was taken down because it was not violating their community standards. And it they have nothing to Mm -hmm. do with this kind of content. And this content actually was a documentation of the human rights violations that people on the ground are exposed to. So we are just documenting what we are exposed to guys. And by doing this, they are silencing Palestinian voices, and they are preventing us from sharing our narrative. And that's why the social media is so important. Over the past years, they were or or the the international mainstream media, they have the same story to be told about Palestine, and nothing was new. And even the Palestinian voices was not highlighted in the international mainstream media. And now with the social media, we are trying to mainstreaming the to mainstream the Palestinian cause again. And we are trying to centralise the Palestinian uh, uh, cause by by amplifying our voices and our narrative, and by doing so they are trying to suppress us more and more.
0: Just one
1: last point.
0: Yeah, I I was just going to say it it, it looks like an extremely pernicious form of censorship, which is because it's happening so quickly, so fast, and in such a high volume. And as you were talking then, I was thinking that uh, here, this is, this is where in this country we began to understand a little bit of what you're going through when um, a former Israeli um, uh, military intelligence individual was uh, employed by the British Labour Party to, to look after the social media accounts and what have you and to look into what people were saying there. Um, and and that was shocking. But when we read a bit more, we we understand that actually, I'm going to ask you that um, uh, Facebook. I mean, they own Instagram, they own WhatsApp. Uh, is it the case that they've hired ex in, ex Israeli intelligence staff from the cyber intelligence unit? I think they call it Unit Eight Two Hundred. And um, tell us how that would work. How, how they is, if that is true? Have they? Have these corporations actually hired former Israeli intelligence staff to come and police Palestinian social media accounts? Is that what's going on?
1: Uh, well, just to start, the 8,200 unit is not the same as the cyber unit. The cyber crime unit, the eight thousand two hundred unit is related, uh, or uh, yeah, it's related to the defence minister ministry, and the cyber unit is related to the uh, justice ministry, and yeah, the oversight board of the Facebook they hired. Imi Palmer which has who has started the cyber unit in the israeli government in spe- specifically in the justice minister ministry in, in israel so they hired Imi palmer who had started working on the cyber unit in israel and they have also other people who are working from inside the company, like Jordana. Jordana, she said from before, I am the voice of Israel inside Facebook. And she was part of the Israeli government, specifically from the Justice uh, Ministry also. And yeah, they are hiring people who who, who were ex-working with the Israeli government. And by doing so, they are trying systematically to suppress our voices. The last point that I was going to tell you about the last question is, over the past month, Netanyahu tried twice to ban social media platforms for Palestinians, and the Legislative Council of Israel prevented him from from doing so, because this might harm the the, the only democracy in, in the Middle East, and because of that, they did not ban social media for Palestinians. Actually, twice. So yeah, they 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 hired people from the cyber unit and they hired people from the Israeli Justice Minister. Uh, one of them in the oversight board, which is like um, the 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 higher board of of Facebook, and the other one inside Facebook. And she clearly talked about talked about that from before, and she said, "I'm the voice of Israel inside inside Facebook."
0: Mariam, um, Sarah Raw here. She's she's written. She says. Um... Uh, If you're aiming at being able to enter the country, you might want to consider uh, temporarily deactivating your social media accounts in case you are vocal about Palestine. Even before I used Twitter and Instagram, I've been interrogated a few times and had to wait for friends, students for five to six hours at the airport while security forces interrogated them and browsed over their Facebook pages. Um, So, Mariam, can I ask you, what, what right have they got to do that? Uh, but also, I heard Mona just mentioned that you had had your Twitter account suspended. Is that is that right? And why was it suspended? I mean, she's dropped you in it here. But 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 what? But why was it suspended? And how did you get it back? Have you got it back?
2: Um, before before I delve into those uh, points, I just want to add to what Mona was saying in terms of uh, kind of the social media accounts and hiring them to continue the censorship of Palestinians. You, what the censorship dynamic also highlights is a lack of understanding. So Al-Aqsa was censored under the pretext of, it represented Al-Aqsa Brigades, um, instead of the Dome of the Rock. Um, The words like martyr, which are Palestinians that get killed by Israel is censored because the term quote unquote martyr has been made to be associated with terrorism. Um, And it shows you just this very, shallow understanding of the Arabic language, generally, um, and, our, and our reality and our dynamics. But more than this is that it's not just uh, Israel using media companies. It is that they're also using former journalists. I mean, you have former correspondents for the Washington Post being the chief advisor for, of communications for the Israeli ambassador to the UN. Hmm. These are people that covered our stories for these big mainstream media platforms. And I think this is something we need to talk about as well in terms of journalistic integrity. Um, But more than this, with the deactivation of social media accounts, so my Twitter uh, was temporarily suspended uh, while I was covering demonstrations near the illegal settlement of Bet'il in Ramallah. And I was tweeting out uh, updates on the brutality of the Israeli army on. Um, Palestinian confrontation of the Palestinian Authority. And those, a select number of tweets were uh, temporarily suspended because it violated Twitter's policy. Um, uh, Later, a couple of hours later, actually, my account was reinstated um, as an accident. And it was a mistake. The glitch uh, narrative that we're so used to at this point. Um, But more than this, is I don't think my account would have been reinstated had I not already had a high following one. And two, it was other journalists, other writers, other people on social media that started you know, speaking and reaching out to Twitter saying, hello, what are you doing? Mm. Um, and that accountability scares, whether it's tech companies or Israel or anyone um, that is by committing a violation, accountability scares them. So this is where I saw the importance of solidarity as well um, with my my account. Um, But yeah, in terms of the deactivating of social media before you travel here, let's move away from that. Let's start saying we shouldn't be doing that
0: at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Mariam, I was just thinking also then because you mentioned the um, the Israeli permanent representative of the United Nations, who is a particularly strident individual, by the way. Well, let's be very diplomatic about it. He's particularly strident. Uh, he says some things that, that seem so outrageous, you sort of go running to, 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 take the, um, to take the medicine. And of course, what he said, and, and, and now you're telling us also about how mainstream media sometimes ends up, you know, working for the people they're supposed to be reporting on, and a real uh, conflict of interest there. Um, Of course, for many people watching the recent uh, fighting and the attacks in Gaza, um, who who would find perhaps these discussions we're having about social media a little bit difficult to follow, it was so very, very clear there that there were military strikes taken against um, buildings housing journalists. Uh, And that same... U.N. permanent representative of Israel uh, weeks after the attack on the building in Gaza that associated a multitude of media, um, including, of course, Associated Press, which is why a lot of the Western governments got upset. uh, He claimed, this permanent ambassador, that, oh, actually, uh, all along, there were Hamas fighters hiding in that building. Uh, He had presented no proof for this whatsoever, nor was he challenged on it. But you know, when we're talking about attacks on journalists, for many people, that and of course the uh, the arrests and and the physical assaults that journalists have suffered too has been for, for many people um, outside Palestine the most visible uh, uh, the vi- most visible effect of what of what Israel is doing. Tell us something, if you will, about journalists in Gaza, uh, about the journalists in that building, and what happened, and what really happened. And what, what, why is this, uh, why is this um, UN ambassador being allowed to get away with what he's saying without any proof?
2: Um, I think he's allowed to get away with anything he's saying without any proof because Israel has been allowed to get away with what it's doing without um, anything uh, to hold it accountable. And that's just illustrative and representative of how weakened and disempowered um, the political scene really is. And it's really when when you're saying, let's explain this diplomatically, it's really saying, let's just be polite about our racism. Let's be polite about our um, uh, apartheid practices. And it's why I think our language on social media is making so many people uncomfortable. We're not sugarcoating it. We're not saying, oh, well, there is a conflict with the two separate states. And of course, Gaza is treated like a third separate state. Um, As opposed to five Palestinian governorates under siege for 15 years, Um, a point that we have to always make, because it's so easy for Israel to throw the Hamas argument um, to legitimize any of its criminal activities against Palestinians, despite its practices being older than these political parties um, that were birthed as a result and in relation to the colonial state. Israel attacks journalists in Gaza and here. I think what really uh, showcased or changed in this regard was Israel's attack on international journalist offices, right? like the Associated Press um, and others. Because I know from the second intifada, Al Jazeera was always raided consistently. Um, And it was a reality we're accustomed to. Journalists aren't safe. It's a reality I'm accustomed to. I'm not safe just because I'm there covering um, a story. In the end, you know, you're covering a story that's gonna be showing Israel as this apartheid state. But what's worse is I didn't see a lot of the support that these journalists needed from their peers internationally. Um, the Associated Press, for instance, continued to use very problematic headlines that are very diplomatic, very polite. Um, but more than this misleading. And that is sinister, I think, for any media company. Um, uh, so it really showcased the fragmentation within that sector. You have people like Emily Wilder um, being kicked out of her position for, for speaking out. I know Palestinians here- She's who the have Associated
0: worked- Press journalist, isn't she? Emily yes. I mean, explain that, because not everybody will have heard that, about that case. Can you tell right. us a bit more about that, Mariam?
2: So Emily, you know, was supposed to get a position with the Associated Press um, and kind of got removed, not kind of, she got removed because of her comments on Palestine, of her wanting to basically cover the reality as it is um, when she speaks about it. And it shows you how media companies, in specific. Um, mainstream media, which are corporations in and of themselves, we forget this, um, adhere to certain stakeholders. They adhere to certain also funding um, policies that they do, and it's coming at the expense of the reality, and real people are suffering from it. I know journalists that come here and cannot quote unquote, cannot cover the story because they are facing pressures from editors. They are pay- facing pressures from the Israeli government, that the Ministry of Strategic Affairs basically assigns minders to international journalists so they can ping them whenever they write a problematic story. So I think more than this is journalists are speaking out. They're saying, we want to cover this and we want to cover it, right? And that should not be taken away from us.
0: No, it's very interesting that Marion, because I, as you were saying that i'm also thinking about the policing of the language and um and and, and during that whole recent period I, one particular um moment s- sticks out in my mind when um shortly after the bombing uh, uh, the deliberate targeting of the uh, media building in gaza uh, the bbc was reporting uh, the 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 the, the, uh, the violence that was happening in these following terms it talked about um Arab Israelis uh, around towns such as Lod. It talks about it talked about uh, Palestinians in the occupied West Bank, and it talked about people uh, about Gaza. So effectively, it broke the Palestinians up into about three or four different um, uh, groups that could be easily be easily be sort of forced into a, into a little um, into a corner. So it that, the whole the whole language and the whole reporting. Uh, starts from that that newsroom and, and the editorial line um, that uh, newspapers or television companies or whatever media takes. But I'm just interested to know, um, and you know, Mona, for 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 young people who are out there taking risks, if you like, people who are like just acting as citizen journalists. They're uploading stuff on their iPhones. Um, maybe they're speaking to them. They're reporting what's going on. Um, you know how da- we know actually we know how dangerous it is for a professional journalist because I think 18 journalists have been killed uh, in Palestine between 1992 and now. That's a very high number of journalists who have been killed. But I'm I'm talking about young people who are becoming kind of citizen journalists. What 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 sort of what's it like for them out there, Mona?
1: Well, they are they are starting started like being engaged as a citizen journalist because. They don't feel like they are well communicated. They don't feel like the official between brackets, uh, official journalists who's covering this issue is covering well, is covering it as it should be covered or it, as it reflects the reality that they are living in. For example, Munal al and Muhammad al-Kurd, they are living their personal stories, their family stories. They are just telling people, they are just telling people around the world what they are being exposed to. They are exposed to this kind of risk. So no matter if, <clears throat> I mean, if they are exposed to this kind of risk because they are part or they are acting like a citizen journalist they are they are also part of a bigger risk which is being ethnic cleansing and forced displacement from their from their homes so this is like the bigger risk that they are exposed to so if they are not communicated communicating around this risk this big risk then nothing worth to be communicated about for example if if they don't communicate about being forcibly dis- displacement, what should they communicate about? Should they communicate about their dreams that, that was that that will be lost if they are just left their homes or if they are uh, um, being ethnic ethnic cleansed from the Israeli uh, Israeli authorities? No, for sure. I mean. However, this risk is being big, it's not bigger than the original risk that we are exposed to, which is the apartheid risk, the ethnic cleansing risk, the the, the forced displacement risk. The, that's the bigger risk that we are all exposed to. And we took the, the, the smaller risks to fight and just to prevent us falling in the bigger risk. I hope I expressed it. Like no, nearly, I, but
0: I think we get we get that Mona. And, you know, I I think, but I mean, I suppose that the focus on journalism is today is because um, I think people around the world are kind of shocked that people whose job it is to simply try and report what's happening have often ended up being under attack. And this is actually official attack. But I thought it's also worth mentioning that, um, not only have there been the, the, the military attacks on, on journalists and, and we've also seen, you know, how journalists have been dealt with in Sheikh Jarrah with the Al Jazeera journalists having her arm broken, but clearly journalists have been under attack um, by Israeli settlers. And uh, this includes international journalists, but also Israeli journalists. So, uh, you know, it's this, um, this undercurrent of violence uh, is, if it's, if it's being um, promulgated or 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 encouraged by the state, then are we surprised, Mariam, that actually people take it in their own hands, that settlers think, well, okay, I'll attack that journalist since it's okay to attack them elsewhere.
2: Um, I think the problem here is we separate like soldiers and police from settlers. They're all settlers. Um, And this is a reality we need to start saying perhaps more clearly that Um, These soldiers are also living in settlements, Um, they're just a more institutionalized uh, version of our uh, forced expulsion, that uh, this happened in 1948, in 1967, Palestinians were displaced, and, you know, their homes were taken over, their lands were brazen, Uh, and you have, ask the soldiers where they live, ask the government officials where they live. They live in, on lands that belong to Palestinians, and that makes them settlers. So we need to really stop distinguishing from settlers to that. It was the same farcical argument that there's a right wing and a left wing. I in, in within the Israeli sphere, there's those who can speak very diplomatically and those who don't. Um, But the mainstream in Israel is calling for the death to Arabs. If it is not in their physical sense, it is in the hush-hush, going to the lower socioeconomic classes sense. Um, We see what they did with Palestinians with Israeli citizenship. So we really need to unpack that in of itself. Um, The settlers are doing the same work soldiers are doing, police are doing. Police are actually wearing civilian clothing so they can have more leeway um, in terms of uh, attacking Palestinians. And it shows you the impunity that is embedded within that system.
0: Uh, Nicholas Ford, um, he's in Argentina. Uh, Nicholas says here in Argentina, mainstream media reports only about Israel. And um, when it does in relation with Palestine, it is by showing Israel as is a victim focusing only on Israel. I've never seen or heard anything about Palestine. The problem is The Palestine as it is reported on the news generally is identified as Hamas. So you have the terrorist Palestinians attacking the hapless, uh, helpless Israelis kind of story. And the most terrifying thing is that people buy that. Um, Well, look, uh, so we've got lots of interesting comments. We've had lots of great questions, but unfortunately we have to bring things more or less um, towards um, an end. But I just wanted to ask both of you, you know, if you, what does it, Mona? I mean, would you encourage people to to take these kind of risks that they clearly are taking, whether they be professional journalists, or whether they be as we've been talking about, you know, I mean, the people out there who are using social media to get the story out. I mean, and what 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 can people around the world do to try and 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 explain more as to what has actually been going on, and especially with what we've been talking about with this, this control and censorship of social media and the shutting down of independent voices. That seems to be happening all the time and incredible numbers, and we just never hear about it. Well, this
1: is a very long question, but I will start with Palestinians who are being exposed to this kind of risk. Yeah, for sure, I would encourage them to continue with this kind of risk. We are human rights defenders that we should, we should talk about the human rights uh, de- violations that we are exposed to underground. So we are we we should we should publicize uh, these these violations. We should uh, tell our story. We should tell our narrative to the world. So we we can we can take the risk. Why not to take the risk? I mean, if we don't take the risk, w- what should we do? Should we just sit and look? on what's happening on Sheikh Jarrah and in Jerusalem and in Gaza Strip and just sitting watching TV, watching, uh, watching films, movies, and and other things. We can't. I mean, we are all Palestinians. We were organizing and mobilizing themse- ourselves on the social media. We have seen a very brilliant things over the past month. We saw P- Palestinians in 48. We saw Palestinians in Gaza Strip, in West Bank, and also in Jerusalem. We were all rising. Just to, we were all riding in the street just to say that we can't breathe anymore. We can't like live anymore under this settler colonialism because we feel like we are living under apartheid and this is affecting us on a daily basis. And it's like these discriminatory policies are killing us. So if 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 we are not taking this kind of risk, we will be ethnic ethnic cleansed uh, on on a systematic uh, manner and no one will hear about us. So we will continue, we will take this risk and we will continue amplifying our voices. For people who are outside Palestine and who are hearing us, listen all, we know that we are not the only people who are living under this oppressive regime. Many people around the world are living also under oppressive regimes, and we, we can feel you. We hear your voices. We, we hear your voices when your governments and regimes are, are buying their surveillance technologies and spying technologies from the Israeli government, which was testing on Palestinians from before selling that to the world. We hear your voices and we we know that our struggle is a joint struggle it's an intersectional struggle. No one could be free until all of us are being free so because of that, people around the world should amplify our voices as we also are trying to amplify other people's voices around the world. When the Black Lives Matter movement had their rising last year we were we were trying to also amplify their voices we were trying also to share their content to tell their story I mean just sharing the content is telling their story because we are amplifying their voices and this is what we are Palestinians are expecting from people who are standing in solidarity with us we just want you to also to pressure your government to not to buy much more surveillance technologies and much more military uh, products from the Israeli government these products are being tested on Palestinians before being sold to your government so so this is like a very basic thing that anyone around the world can 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 take action on. They well, can take you, action we're, online.
0: We're, we're, yes. Sadly, we're drawing very close to the end and I just wanted to let Mariam um, come in uh, at the end and, and uh, add, add to that, if you, if, if you will, Mariam, uh, what, what can we all do out here who are watching in?
2: Um, I think, first of all, we all need to just humble ourselves. No one's expecting anyone to come here and liberate the world, but do the basics. Um, Demand your right to not be censored. Demand your right to have information. Pick up that phone and demand it. Um, Let yourself be heard. It's really not just about us and Palestinians. Um, The benefit for us will be when it's beneficial for you as well. Um, And like Mona was saying, it is intersectional. Um, But more importantly, we are setting precedents right now if our ethnic cleansing continues, if these policy practices continue, we are setting a precedent for it to happen on other places as it is. And as it has, which is what Israel continuously uses at the policy level and at the community level um, against us. And in terms of the narrative, for instance, in Argentina and Israel playing the victim, I think Israel is a victim of its settler colonialism. Um, and, Our liberation and our freedom and the removal of settler colonialism is also a liberation for that. Um, Israel continues to weaponize narratives, its youth that it imprisons who refuse to serve in the army. So I would urge everyone to go broad, but to go simple and basic um, in your day-to-day what you can give.
0: Well, thank you, Maryam. Just before we do go, a few few last messages. Wally Yazback says, I must go now. Thanks, Mary and Mona. Stay strong, ladies. We love you. Jocelyn Herndal, she says, hugely interesting. Thank you so much. Wonderful to hear from you in Ramallah. Uh, Angela Martin says, thank you both for your important commentary and great Palestine deep dive for giving space to it. Um, Look, thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, April, as for, she says, thank you so much. Uh, Galia, as she says, power to the people. Um, there we are. Um, we, <laughs> sadly, we are out of time. But I, I really would like to thank Maryam Mamona for for taking time out and being with us here today. Um, it's been very, very important. It's been quite revelatory. Uh, and it's been particularly important to hear from Palestinian journalists and writers and communicators because this is where we really get to the bottom of it all and hear the truth. So we're very, very grateful. Thank you very, very much. We'd love to have you both on again. Good luck with all that you do. Please stay safe. Uh, Lots of people are sending in their messages. We have people watching from all over the world. So we're all very, very pleased to to have that. And and I'd just like to thank everybody also at Palestine Deep Dive to Omar to Alex to Kieran to everybody at the Palestine deep time but uh, Palestine deep dive team so thank you very much uh, until next time uh, it's goodbye from me it's goodbye from Mariam goodbye from Mona bye 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 bye